So we've arrived at part four today. Um, uh, last week we looked at part three was looking at how do we love our friends without agenda, which is quite a challenge at times um, because often um, we do want people to agree with us. Sometimes friendships change and it's hard to work out how do we navigate that. Um, but actually, um, if we can get it right, it's one of the most fulfilling connections, isn't it? If we can get friendship right and if we can love people genuinely without an agenda it can be one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things for each of us. So it's worth working at. But today, part four, we're looking at how do we love without agenda those closest to us? And actually, if I can be really honest with you, this has been the hardest talk to pull together. Not because I don't know what to say. Um, I've got loads of things that I want to say. But the reason it's so hard is because I want to say it right. Because actually... Loving those closest to us without an agenda is one of the most challenging but one of the most important things to get right because sometimes we find ourselves in scenarios where we get it wrong and it can be really, really difficult. So for each person, the role of those close to us will look different. In some ways, we're describing what's sometimes on those forms, significant others. Um, you kind of you kind of think that's a bit of a, a woolly term, but but sometimes that's what it is. It's a significant other in our lives. It could be for you that we're talking about your partner. It could be we're talking about your children. Um, it could be talking about a parent. Um, it could be that we're talking about a best friend, or it might be a combination of a number or all of those that you would consider the people who are closest to you. And in some ways. When we look at this whole idea of of having people who are really close to us, it feels like we're almost wired to seek out significant relationships. There's something in each of us that desires um, wholesome, significant relationships. Um, (coughs) To find people who we can build our lives with, um, people who can know us and love us. Um, And some people, in that pursuit of finding these things... Some people will find it quickly. Some people will have it but lose it. And, and some people will find that they're just trying for their whole life to try and find that. And this is why it's so difficult to talk about this stuff because it's not a blanket, let's just talk to everyone about how you love your husband or wife. Because it's not always... The, like, there's so many scenarios where it doesn't work for people. And one thing we've tried to do in the living room is make sure that we always consider the whole range of people and whatever might be going on in their lives. So I suppose ultimately what we're seeking when we're trying to find that stuff is we're, we're seeking that feeling of companionship, aren't we? We're looking for a companion. Um, that Just to know that we are not alone and that someone is there for us. That's often what we're... What, ultimately we're trying to find and and what often sets these relationships apart from others is that the sense of love in that relationship is the key driver is the thing that is behind why we are pursuing that connection that relationship we want someone to love and we want to be loved by someone else i'm going to read um a little bit of the bible always good to dip into that um I stupidly didn't get it prepared in time. So here we are. Um, it's, it's the passage that is read at every single wedding. But I've heard it so many times, I don't even think about what it says. 
Uh, I don't know whether I don't know whether you find that sometimes with like I thought about wedding vows the other day. I was like, man, how many people say the vows and then never ever think about those vows ever again? <laughs> but it's the same with this passage. And actually, if we if we stop thinking it as a token passage that's read at a wedding, but read what this actually says, this is what love is all about. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And I suppose in a lot of ways that verse becomes the goal, doesn't it? In the relationships that are closest to us, that verse becomes the goal. It can work as an effective reminder of what love looks like and what our focus needs to be of how we operate in different relationships. So all the weeks when we talked about um, how do we love without, um, without agenda, we've kind of looked at loads of complexities to do with the relationships that we're talking about. But really, when we're talking about the, close, the people closest to us, because it looks different for every single person, I think we know what we're talking about. And for each and every one of us, there'll be different scenarios that you look at and go, that's my connection that I'm thinking of. So really, the great thing is for us, we can jump straight into thinking about agenda. An agenda for me can be a major issue in how effectively our relationships function with those closest to us. If we put agenda into the mix, it, begin to, it can begin to cause so many different problems. An agenda often makes the elements of relationships centre around us. When we insert agenda into it and we have an agenda, it often makes those elements of the relationship centre around us, how we might feel about things, what we want or need to happen, um, and often leads to there being an issue of control. And this is, this is where things can begin to go um, to go wrong and become quite a challenge. So that's what I want to talk about today, this whole idea of control. That if, if loving without agenda means, means we, we've got to understand what agenda looks like, then for me, this issue of control is probably one of the, the greatest things we, we've got to look at. And actually, control is complicated, mainly because it often appears in the form of us genuinely wanting the best for someone and our plan of action of how we get them there. So we love someone, and because we love them, we want the best for them. And we have a vision and an idea of how we can help them to, to feel supported and loved. And, and often we can, we can have that plan, have that idea, and actually the fulfilment of them feeling loved is determined by whether we get to play this plan of action out. Um, also, we can't help but think in, in any situation where we have invested love into it, we can't help but think of how things will affect us. So our natural leading towards making sure we get what we want from any situation is usually what drives us to have some form of control. Now, if you are an entirely selfless person, then hats off because that is the most stunning characteristic someone can have if you are completely selfless selfless 
as a person. Um, but it is a challenge, isn't it? Because we can't help but sometimes listen to that voice inside of us where we go, but what about me? What about what I need? I need to feel this. I, I need to, to have this happen. And I suppose the other thing that we need to acknowledge with control is being out of control. If you've ever had that experience, never feels comfortable. Experiencing that feeling can often develop a more fierce approach in each of us to make sure that that thing that we went through never happens again. So we can sometimes be more controlling because we can't allow things to to go off in, in, in a direction where we've experienced it before and it was painful. But I suppose the reality with control is at its worst, controlling behaviour can trap people in relationships. It can, uh, it can make people feel like they're almost held hostage by fear of what might happen if they don't do something or if they get something wrong or if they do something different. And this isn't an easy thing to talk about, but this is the reality for some people in their relationships. And, and I'll talk about this in a moment, but, but you've got to look at this with two hats on. Some of you will have been in relationships where it's been difficult and tough like this and you've always been the victim. But for others of, us, other, others of us, we might not be aware that we are showing some controlling traits in the way that we operate. And I suppose we, we want to focus on self-reflection because that's the thing we can be in control of. But I'll talk about it in a little bit, acknowledging actually sometimes we are the victims of this as well. So we can all see that, that those scenarios where control becomes quite fierce, we can see that they're destructive and wrong. But sometimes control can work quite subtly, sometimes even without us realising it. So I, I kind of defined it in two ways. I've talked about control being passive and active. Um, I've not read it anywhere, so if this doesn't make any sense, then completely blame me, because it's not from anyone who's particularly greatly learned or researched much. It was using my brain, and I thought about it. And I thought about how actually control can be passive or active. Active control is clear controlling behaviour. Um, when someone sets really clear boundaries of what needs to happen and what you think in order to achieve what needs to be achieved. Everyone in the scenario is aware of what that person thinks and what needs to happen. Um, and, and as a result, the success of that scenario, that relationship, rises and falls on that person's decision of how they're going to do it. Um, and I suppose sometimes you can look at scenarios and we can't just say control is always bad because sometimes you look at situations where things are going out of control in someone like Lou's job when she turns up to a fire someone needs to take control of the scenario leadership is required and people need to look to someone for for direction for advice for strategy as to how you go through this so it's not all bad we can see scenarios where it works brilliantly. But actually, there's scenarios within leadership where it is so easy to get this wrong, where control becomes something that people are so determined to have that they will trample on other people in order to get their way across. I was uh, listening to a podcast the other day, and this guy was talking about when he was a youth leader. 
um, in America. There was a whole team of them that worked with uh, these young people and their line manager sat them all down for a meeting and they were all talking about a particular issue and how they were going to uh, approach it and how they were going to provide best for these kids that they were working with. And all of the staff shared their opinions and shared their thoughts and they were all in unison as to what they thought needed to happen in order for these kids to get the best. But the line manager turned around and said, well, as your line manager, I don't want to do that. I think we need to do this. And everyone in the room went, well, no, no. Look, this is why we're saying it gave them the best reasons why and all of this kind of stuff. And he, he stuck to his guns and he said, no. He said, as your boss, I'm making this call and you all need to do what I'm saying. And this guy said he looked around the room and every single person, he just saw in their face and in their eyes that he'd lost them. He'd lost them in that moment because he, he was so adamant about having control and his thing needing to happen that he lost the room and he lost those relationships. So we can see that leadership is important, that it's, it's vital that, we, that, that sometimes control and dis, decisiveness and all this kind of stuff are important. But in relationships, sometimes being in control can be a good thing. It can be that maybe in that relationship, um, someone naturally is great at making decisions. He's great at understanding where this needs to go. Um, it's great understanding what's best. And maybe someone else feels overwhelmed by the choice and just needs someone to help them make a call. So we can see that it can work well, but we can also realise that control becomes something, can easily become something that, that gets very, very heavy. So that's active control. It's clear. Everyone knows what's going on. Um, and you either like it or you, you, you lump it and get on with it or you, you leave and walk away. But passive control is much more subtle. Uh, the drive that is behind someone who, who has passive control, uh, the drive to have your needs met is probably still as strong as with the other person, as with active control. But the method used to achieve it is very different. We're more likely to use, in this scenario, we're more likely to use things like silence, distance and disconnection as our tools to get what we want and can easily become, we can easily become quite manipulative of those around us, creating sometimes a sense of confusion, maybe unease, maybe a bit of fear of what we might be thinking. There's all this mystery surrounding it. And what we don't realise is when it's meant to be a loving relationship, whether it's a partner, a parent, a best friend, um, a ch even, even with a child, if, if we're being passive in our control, there is so much opportunity for manipulation to settle in and it to become something where the, the other person in the relationship begins to fear what might be going on and the problem is because it's not clear in the way that active control is it's quite difficult to stand against so it's less likely that you'd be in a scenario and someone who's passively controlling a, a scenario it'd be less likely that that something would happen in a social situation and you'd get back in the car and they'd have a massive rant at you about what was going on they would just withdraw and almost almost it can be like a punishment of I'm not going to give you my attention or my time or my love in this moment because I'm going to I'm going to passively punish you because you need to see you need to read between the lines and see that I'm not happy with this and if you really love me you will get it and and this stuff is so challenging because 
we sometimes see it as a tactic of how we can get what we want. That if I withdraw my attention or withdraw my time, then maybe they will, uh, maybe they will crave it and they'll come back and they won't do that again. And it's really tricky. But how does this stuff work in reality? Well, when we think about a relationship with someone close, it can be really tricky to get those relationships right. We want them, as a contributor to that relationship, we want them to be happy, we want them to be content, fulfilled, encouraged, supportive. But we have needs too, don't we? We also have needs too, and we can't ignore that, because otherwise we'd just become a complete doormat in situations. In an ideal world, what we would see is that we communicate well, and we, de- we develop relationships where we are balanced and always thinking of the needs of the other person. That's the ideal scenario, that we develop relationships where there's this constant awareness and dialogue and connection where we're always aware of what's going on in the other person's life. It's, there's, there's a transparency to it. So there isn't the, um, the active control or even the hidden passive control. It's just clear that we're both for each other and we, we intentionally work towards making sure that that's okay. So we're thinking of the needs of other people. Uh, and if you both do that, then we should both feel considered. That's the reality. So it is possible. Um, and I suppose the most effective approach is to build that level of communication into relationships. So our request doesn't come out of nowhere. So if that level of communication is normal, if you're talking about how you feel, what you think, uh, where you're, but the direction you're both going in, it's a healthy communication, it's a healthy uh, relationship. If it becomes something that you never talk about, if you ever want to challenge it, sometimes it feels like it comes out of nowhere. And you're suddenly you're going, oh, yeah, by the way, I've, I've been really unhappy with the way our relationships work for the last five years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's really difficult. And then that person suddenly going, they might have been not great in the way they've been operating but then they suddenly go oh right uh, okay um and then you're expecting this whole massive change in the relationship because because now you've finally got around to telling them how you might feel about a situation um so so it's about developing this this healthy um level of communication where you feel you can be vulnerable you can be real you can be honest uh, and you can bring what's going on in your head, in your heart, to the table. And, and that person, because they love you, can begin to understand that. Um, and I think if, if you can do that, it stops you moving in directions where you become further and further and further apart. And it then becoming harder to drag yourself back into line and become connected again. So it is a challenge. Um, but it's something that we've got to try and get right. And the reality is none of us are exempt from feelings of control. When we look at the image of marriage, even 50, like marriage is an example, maybe 50 or 60 years ago, you can see a traditional image of a man being the head, the head of the house and there being a submissive wife whose role is to provide for her husband's needs and ensure that he can do whatever, whatever he wants to do. 
don't know if you've ever seen any of those little books. These books came out of Rules for Wives, and they're from, like, the 1950s or whatever, and it's just criminal. <laughs> it's just criminal, the way society functioned in order to uh, to do that. And the sad reality is, even within the traditional, like, church context, it wasn't that long ago that you would go uh, and you would see male leaders gathering and their wives would all be shepherded off into another room where they would uh, their role was just to be supportive to their husbands and they'd be in an adjoining room enjoying some tea and maybe some some nice sandwiches with the crusts cut off um and um I never went to one but I'm just speculating that that's what they did um but but then they'd be doing that whilst the men were discussing the real business next door it wasn't that long ago I suppose, luckily, in a lot of settings, things have changed. And I suppose when we're talking about um, a marriage between a man and a woman, a lot, a lot has changed in some settings because what, what might have been a kind of dominant male relationship and a submissive wife, um, I'm hoping in a lot of scenarios is completely balanced out. But if I can be really honest with you, I've also seen it flip the other way. I've also seen it where it's become a role reversal, where there's been uh, there's been women who've risen to the point of being dominant in the relationship, and that they are clearly the ones in control. I mean, the, the question of who wears the trousers will always be an entertaining one, and it's usually quite clear for observers to see and um, in relationships who wears the trousers. But actually, sometimes this issue of control isn't isn't kind of a traditional one of the man is in control this we are all like potentially guilty of falling into this trap and and i've seen it happen in both ways i've seen guys be controlling in the way that they are in relationships um and i've seen women be controlling in the way that they are in relationships and i tell you what it is we could all fall foul of it and it's and it becomes it can become so destructive um, to see uh, the other partner, whether that's a, a man or a woman, cow, almost cowering in the background, being submissive, trying to get things right in order to in order to keep their partner happy. Um, and do you know what? When we think about relationships, we think about loving people without an agenda who are closest to us. We don't want anyone to feel like that we want to work on how we can function in relationships to make that better so what we do need in all relationships is balance one person may be the more natural leader and there may be someone who's better at making key decisions but if that's the case we embrace that but we would never we should never be someone who who allows it to become a dominant relationship where someone rules and the other person just serves because that's when things begin to go wrong. And I suppose this is where I wanted to, to think about in, in all of these contexts. By default, we're choosing to concentrate on our contribution, aren't we? We're choosing to look at ourselves. Um, we're thinking about self-reflecting and then looking at how we can alter who we are in order to benefit relationships. That's what we default to because we're the only ones in control of us. Okay. But I'm also aware that sometimes we can become the victim in these situations. And the idea that we can change these scenarios, that we can... So we're talking about this and how can things be better? How can we make things better? Sometimes if we're the victim, it can feel like these scenarios are hopeless and impossible. So when we talk about it not being all about us and trying to not be self-centred, 
we're attempting to combat that that sense, aren't we? We're saying when we talk about it's not all about us, we're trying to make people think uh, I shouldn't be self-centred in my approach. But it's important to see the difference between that and the realisation that if we're trapped in something controlling, then we need to be kind enough to ourselves and see the importance of us getting support standing up for ourselves in certain scenarios and in in more extreme cases possibly even removing ourselves from those relationships and i suppose we can all look at at times maybe in our own lives or in the lives of people that we've that we've known and loved over the years sometimes relationships do go wrong sometimes it is painful it's difficult and sometimes people need to leave because it is too it is too controlling and too difficult. And the idea that it shifts back to the ideal of let's be really good and consider each other might not be possible because the, the seismic shift that needs to take place in the personalities within that relationship might not be possible. And we don't want to focus on that and say, oh, it's all right, guys, just get out wherever possible, just leave. But sometimes that is necessary. Uh, and it's not failing, it's just understanding that relationships change. So even though we are talking about let's be self-reflective, let's look at our contribution, let's look at how we can be better as individuals, don't ever feel like you're trapped in something, because that can never be the case. And I think as well, the other thing, as we're beginning to pull this uh, to a close, the other thing with control is sometimes it feels like it's just the best intentions. Our best intentions are that we want to do things like um, protect um, and, and cherish things. And sometimes control masquerades as protection or concern. And, and the best example we can see this in is when we, how we relate to children how I relate to our own children. If you think about relationships with, with children, you would never want them to feel pain. If you could choose as a parent or, or as someone who loves uh, um, your nephews and nieces or, or your best friend's kids or your godchildren, whatever it might be, if you could choose, you would never allow them to feel pain because you don't, it's painful. It hurts. You, you'd choose that. You'd never want them to suffer disappointment. You'd never want them to have their heart broken. That would be the ideal scenario. If you could help them avoid that, then you would. That's the reality. And that's what feels like care, doesn't it? So it feels like protection. It's what feels like um, our, our, like our desire for people. But um, I, I read a few interesting quotes. There's a, a lady called, I don't know how you say her surname, but Jessica Leahy, I think it is. Um, she's a middle school teacher and she's written a book called Why Parents Need to Let Their Children Fail. And she asks this question. How do I teach students to learn and grow through failure and setbacks when their parents are so intent on making them a shining star? The truth is that learning from failure is paramount to becoming a resilient young person. And the problem is this. You look back at your own life and you go, man, it's actually my struggles, my challenges, my, my failings, um, me picking myself up that has made me be someone who can be the person I am today. It defines you. But the problem is, as someone who loves someone else, you would stop it where possible. A lady called Carol Dweck, who's a, who's a, um, um, a, 
psychology uh, lecturer um, at some major university in America. She says this, if parents want to give their children a gift, the best thing they can do is teach their children to love challenges, be intrigued by mistakes, enjoy effort and keep on learning. That way their children don't have to be slaves of praise. They will have a lifelong way to build and repair their own confidence. I love that. How amazing is that? If you could equip your child with the ability to have a lifelong way of being able to build and repair their own confidence, their own confidence, not someone else doing it for them, then being reliant on someone else, reliant on someone else. But if they have the resilience to be able to do that, man, that is the best gift you could give them. But the only way they can receive that gift is by things like having their heart broken experiencing a bit of pain, um, experiencing disappointment, failure, rejection. And you look at it and go, man, I am fighting this tension inside of me because I don't want them to do this. And, and actually, I'd say there's probably not much more painful thing than watching someone that you love dearly, whether it's a child, a partner, best friend, a parent, watching them genuinely suffer and be in pain and and be disappointed or rejected or or let down or broke just broken it is one of the hardest things to do and i suppose the challenge is as painful as it is to watch we know that people have the opportunity to grow and thrive through disappointment and challenge and i suppose our role is to position ourselves to love and support in the most effective way through those times so we've thrown loads of stuff into the mix for this. And I think it's, it's clear for all of us that we know control is something that we might battle with at times. And the, I suppose the essence of what we're talking about is let's never allow control to be something that is dominant in our lives so that it, that it begins to... I don't know, suffocate and restrict the way our friendships, our relationships with those closest to us begin to function. Because sometimes it does feel like we can live our lives so much for someone else's happiness and pleasure that we do, um, that we do kind of, uh, uh, I suppose, at the detriment of, of our own lives. So it's a case of being able to have, have the strength and courage to be able to communicate clearly, to not allow that to happen to you. But ultimately, the most important thing is that we are always checking ourselves to say, I don't ever want to be someone who functions like that, because really you're the only one who can control. yourself. So, so control is important, but it's about self-control. It's about being aware of, of yourself, your insecurities, where it might be leading, where it might be pushing you, um, and how you might be in as a defence or as insecurity or as fear begin to control what goes on around you. And, and actually, if we can be masters of, of ourselves, if we can control ourselves, then our relationships have a much better way of functioning. But ideally, we join values with someone who has the same passion and desire to do that with their own lives. And that's when the communication um, and, and the effectiveness of a relationship can truly thrive if we can get that right.
and and maybe there's a, an es- an element as well where we just need to make sure we get the right kind of people around us. That if we are losing, if we are um, losing control of our self control uh, and letting things slip, and and actually being governed by fear and insecurity and all those kind of things, get some people around us who can speak into that, who we know love us and can can lift us up and remind us of who we are and and support us to be able to um to come through that and um and flourish and, and thrive again so what does love look like i want to reread uh, that corinthians passage because i do think this is a great reminder uh, so love is patient and kind love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude it does not demand its own way it is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So loving those close without agenda really does require us to make it not all about us. We read that chapter, didn't we, in um, at the beginning of this series. Um, in everybody always where he where bob goff just keeps repeating how many times we should uh, remind ourselves when we do something good um when we do something kind when someone thanks us about something and he goes to all these different scenarios he says after every single one we need to remind ourselves it's not all about us so if we can combat this tendency for self-centeredness um it's probably one of the healthiest ways we can move forward and I say, if we're really honest, this is probably something that we need to repeatedly check ourselves on. That as relationships grow and develop, that we're not allowing it to become something that we have dominance or overall control in. And I suppose one of the interesting things that, that for me is a really good check is that if you can't remember the last time you considered how the people closest to you might feel, then maybe something needs to change. And that's a good marker. If you can't remember the last time you considered how that person or those people closest to you felt about something that's going on, then maybe something needs to change because it's so easy to slip into that. So as we've done for the last few weeks, we're just going to finish with a, a few moments to think and try and not be distracted by the noise in the other room. But let's take some time to consider our relationships with those closest to us. What adjustments might we need to make? And how can we be more considerate um, in the way that we approach those relationships? And ultimately, what might the Holy Spirit want to say to us in these few moments? So let's take two minutes just to think about it, be honest, and then uh, I'll pray to close. Father God, as we each sit here and um, I suppose ponder and contemplate what our relationships with those closest to us look like, God, I just pray that you begin to reveal the things that we could work on, the things that we could address, the ways that we could be people who love without agenda effectively in those relationships, God, that we're not going to be... Trapped in in a self-centered approach, 
that we're going to be people who really do genuinely consider the needs and other the needs of others and and really invest time and energy to to make sure those closest to us feel uh, feel loved and and feel supported, encouraged, and and um, yeah, just feel loved by us. So God, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Uh, that you'd help us to resist those temptations to um, to allow our agenda to drive what needs to happen. But, but God, I just pray you would you'd be really clear in your guidance of, of who we are. And I pray that we'd be people who maybe invite you more into our thinking, in our thought process um, and into our way of dealing with relationships uh, because we know that when we include you God sometimes our perspective can change and shift so just pray that maybe um, this week we begin to invite you into those, those um, times where we're thinking about stuff uh, God I just pray you'd reveal um, some, some great outcomes for us in those times so just be with us and guide us Amen Thank mm-hmm. you.